0: it's really less about the number of, you know, the number of millions under management Mm -hmm. or the number of units. And I look at it as how many people are you helping, right? How many people are you helping either earn passive income, um, save on their taxes, diversify their portfolio, get into different markets, um, educate on real estate as an investment vehicle. So I really look at it less on the assets into management and more about the number of people we can impact because I think the business ultimately is a people business.
1: You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals he will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss
0: their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives
1: and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. Welcome to another show uh, of the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. And on this week's show, we have John Kasman. John Kasman is an accomplished uh, multifamily operator and syndicator and general partner over $85 million in apartment complexes. He's the founder of Kasman Capital, the co-founder of the Midwest Real Estate Summit, and he is the illustrious host of the Target Market Insights. So family, welcome to the show, John Kasman. John, how are you this morning?
0: I'm doing great, Marcus. Thank you for having me on the show today.
1: Thank you, man. Thank you. You know what? I was really impressed with you, and I just I wanted to have you on the show after meeting you at the at the Midwest Real Estate uh, Summit, and your st- your story was really fascinating, man. And I thought it would be a great story um, for our listeners to hear. So um, I know I didn't do your bio and your introduction any justice. So <laughs> fill in fill in the missing pieces here for me. How are you, John? And and who are you?
0: Listen, you did a great job with the bio and it's crazy, man. You, you hear a bio, right? A, a bio is really just like a quick synopsis of things you've accomplished. And sometimes it throws me off because you say things like the 85 million in, in real estate apartments and I'm like, what does it feel like? 85 million <laughs> real estate apartments, you know, but nonetheless, you know, all these things are, are, are facts that we do. And uh, I think it just really demonstrates kind of what we've been able to build in a, in a few years. Um, but my background's in marketing, you know, I, I came into uh, corporate America as a marketer, uh, worked for some large brands, worked in the automotive industry, and then went to the agency side and always saw real estate as a way to one, offset any potential risk, uh, from a W two, and I worked at General Motors when we went through okay. bankruptcy, so that became yep. a real, real thing for me. Uh, I've also watched parents, you know, get let go or you know go on strike. So having financial stability has always been a really important thing for me, um, mm-hmm. going back to to childhood. So um, real estate was kind of a an outlet to establish that, where even if it wasn't that, I could completely live off of it. I didn't have to worry about paying all my bills or I had some other source of income. So I kind of looked at that, started building my own personal portfolio. And then um, after we got to around a one and a half million dollar portfolio, the issue was was that I had a lot of equity, but I didn't have a lot of cash. So I was saving all my money to buy more properties. And I started to realize that, you know, this was really just a long trek to, uh, to reach our goals. But then on the same token, I would meet investors or I would talk to friends and family And they would look at what we were doing and say, that's great. I love it. I would tell them how to do it. And they're like, I don't want to do it. I want the benefits, but I don't want to actually do it myself. So at that moment, a light bulb kind of went off to say, well, man, I need capital to do more deals. They want to invest, but don't want to actually do the management. Maybe we should partner together. And at that moment, I wanted to learn more about what it meant to partner. I didn't want to take anybody's money You know, without really educating myself and really putting myself in position to be uh, a great, you know, steward of other people's money, because while I was succeeding, I didn't know why I was succeeding. Right. You learn more from failure than you do from success. And I'm not saying I wanted to fail, but at least wanted to know why I was winning before we started to work with other people.
1: Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's something key that you said there, you know, because a lot of people can feel like, well, I'm winning, I'm winning, I can't lose, but everybody knows that there's around that corner, you know, it could be one major catastrophe that can take you down and being a good steward, you know, of other people's money is, is absolutely, you know, the direction that you need to be in, especially, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, multi million dollar projects and everything like that. So I know you stated that, you know, you have a strong marketing background. Kudos to you, man. You got to have that in real estate. I always tell people, you know, real estate is not just real estate, but it's more so marketing on the front end because that's how you find your deals. Um, so transitioning from marketing and GM and being in, you know, the Fortune 500 company, how did you make that transition uh, to real estate?
0: So slow over time, right, so I went to Chicago and I worked at an agency, so I worked there and uh, on the side, I started building my portfolio i mean that 's the beauty of real estate right you don't have to quit and jump into it day one. You can invest passively, you can build a small rental portfolio. so I started with that house hack you know I bought a two unit building, I lived in one unit, and I rented out the other. It was pretty easy to manage since I lived there, mm-hmm. and we created some equity um, once we once we kind of created the equity, we refinanced, we actually bought a three-unit building, managed that one. We bought an eight-unit building using the equity from the first project, um, and then we got into a couple rehab projects. So we were able to do all this kind of on the side because we were self-managing the eight-unit building. I did hire a property management company to come on. I wanted to okay. gain that experience and understand what was, was it like to actually manage a property manage. manager company yeah. versus doing it all myself um, you know, and from there, like I said, we started to scale, but it started off really with just doing it on the side. Um, it didn't, doesn't take a crazy amount of hours, but it does take work. And it also depends on if you have the capital. I mean, I was saving six figures to invest in these deals for the most part. So that may not be really feasible for a lot of people. So there are other ways to get involved and get started. But you know, if you, if you have the time, if you have the energy, great, but that was before I had kids too, you know, started having kids, You know, my time started to become a bit more valuable. And running across town to go, you know, check on the toilet or whatever, that wasn't really how I wanted to spend (laughs) my time. And my my wife and I, we both travel for work as well, so it would come times where we were out of town and all something happened. The pipe froze. i like, oh, I mean, there's solutions, but nonetheless, they still started to weigh on me no matter what. It was like, oh, what's going to happen? We're going to go out of out of the country. For a week, all right, well, what's going to happen if they have a phone call? Who do we yep. direct it to? So you have to worry about all those kind of things. So I think getting to the point where we decided to really scale and make it a real business as opposed to kind of a, a side hustle or second income on the side and really making it a
1: business is where kind of the mindset started to shift. Okay. So you started out with a house hack and family, if you can definitely hear the trend, the last few people that I, that we interviewed started out with house hacks, you know, so that's a great way to get started. And John definitely, um, is accomplished and he tells you and he's laying out how he got started. So you got started with the house hack. Then you move to, um, the three, three unit, then the eight unit. So managing all of that, um, how was it you know how was first of all, how did you find that property manager because I know the first two two units that you were managing yourself, mm-hmm. how did you get and how did you learn how to find a property manager vet the property manager
0: so I mean I think first and foremost um, it's always about constant education you know when we first even bought that two unit by that moment, I had done a ton of research. I read multiple books. I listened to podcasts. I talked to other investors before we bought our first duplex. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one, I wanted to learn kind of on the job and and get some experience doing it myself starting out there. So when it came time to hire a property management company, I had built a a pretty good network just from going to networking events, things like that. So I had a handful of folks who I trusted and I reached out to them. I said, Hey, listen, I'm buying this commercial property. It's eight units. So it's not a huge property, but it's still commercial. Right. Um, do you have a reference as far as property management companies that I should look at? So I got a couple of recommendations. Also drove around the area, you know, and saw who else mm-hmm. was managing. In Chicago, uh, if, it's, if it's basically managed by a third party, they've got to put the name of the property management company on the building somewhere. So you can drive around and see which names, you know, come up the most frequently, right? Yep. So I would drive around the neighborhood and I would see, okay, I've seen this, property management company a few times. I jot down their name and maybe check out their website and see if they had any references. So I got a list of like 10. I got that list of 10 down to like four. And I started interviewing and doing phone calls and checking references. And there was one that kind of stood out from the other ones. Um, and they also came with the, the, the recommendation that uh, was most personal. So I think that went well. And they actually weren't on my initial list. It was a property management company who said, hey, I don't do that area. Um, but I'll refer someone who, who does that. We know I like, can trust too. So I thought for, for a recommendation coming from someone in the industry,
1: absolutely, that,
0: that carried a lot of weight. Cause it's like, it's one thing for an investor or someone else to say, Oh, you know, Hey, these guys are pretty good. It's another thing for someone in that same industry to say,
1: Hey, these guys are pretty good. Absolutely. And, and then I learned in real estate, you know, most people are kind of leery about making those recommendations because it may fall back on them, you know, if it turns out to go south. So yeah, you can definitely take that recommendation with a lot of weight. So how did you transition, kind of going backwards, I'm sorry. How did you transition from that first house hack to the second unit? Because I know you said you're working a full-time job, you're house hacking, you and your wife. Um, How did you make that second step?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, our, our strategy was, um, you know, it, it was fairly simple. I mean, we, we had the house hack. Uh, we were, you know, I think we we're paying a couple hundred bucks of the mortgage. So we we're able to save most of our, our income. We we're uh, pregnant with our first child. We wanted to okay. get another investment property, mainly to offset the new expenses we knew we were going to incur. Um, yeah, so, babies
1: babies are not cheap. They're not cheap, man. Not, not cheap in Chicago with child care and everything
0: else. So yep. uh so basically what we what we did was we were looking for properties that didn't need as much work, right? We didn't want to go into a deep rehab or anything like that. We wanted something that was stable, pretty much turnkey, but still had some upside. And the way I saw the upside was in the community. So I was looking at different neighborhoods, and that's my thing. It's always been neighborhoods. That's why, you know, I launched the podcast, Target Market Insights, part of it is because I'm so big on that. You talk about, you know, locations, number one rule, real yeah. estate, right? So for me, it was like, you get the location right, you can miss on other aspects and still be good. So Absolutely. I'm always about getting the location right because that really doesn't require anything else. So um, for me, I spent a lot of time trying to find that next location and we ended up figuring out we wanted to invest in Avondale. Uh, Avondale's neighborhood in Chicago that is, has grown pretty well. Mm-hmm. So we bought something there. I thought the neighborhood would, would continue to improve and will continue to uplift rents and ultimately increase the value of the property. But then also I looked at the current in-place rents and I thought they were like $100 below where they should be without any work being done. So I thought that was another upside because the units were bigger than a lot of the comps and they were getting less in rent. So I felt that there was some upside value potential without having to do anything. So we thought it was a perfect investment for us.
1: Okay, perfect, perfect. So guys, just so you'll know, and so you hear... You know, location is the number one aspect in real estate. But John was able to find, you know, a small equity position within that property without him even doing anything, you know, to increase that property. So, guys, definitely take, you know, take good notes on that. So now you're you're transitioning to that eight unit. You got the property manager, you know, in place. Uh, so did the property manager vet the tenants? Was it occupied already? Kind of what was the uh, stability track on that, on that unit?
0: Yeah. So that one was occupied. Um, the owner had kind of called out a couple of the challenging tenants. So we kind of knew what we were getting into a little bit there. Um, Mm -hmm. it was more challenging than I anticipated. And, uh, you know, I think one of the big things that I learned from, from that property was you can hire really good property managers, but they may not be really good for that property type. You understand Uh, what I'm saying? So the property manager I hired, they were really good at B class properties you know, really good at, you know, some of the, the higher end neighborhoods or, or even just, you know, solid neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I had a mix of section eight and a mix of market rent tenants. Um, not, not bad or anything like that necessarily. They just required a little bit more handholding mm-hmm. than the other properties I had. And I think the most of the properties that, uh, this property management company had managed uh, before. So in doing all of that, there were things that they just missed that I would have expected them to catch or be able to, to navigate and help out with. So, I mean, that was really our lesson was, Hey, when you hire someone, you really need to make sure you're pairing the experience with the asset type with um, you know, the assets you're buying because just getting somebody who's got great recommendations and you know, they've got great experience, but if they haven't done specifically the type of property that you're buying um, you know, they may have more challenges than what you could expect.
1: Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So now I know when me and you had a conversation, you were talking about, you know, this failed flip. So in the midst of all of this, (laughs) yeah, in the midst of all of this, because, you know, everybody, you know, see, see the glitz and the glamour of, you know, fixing, flipping and everything like that. And it's not for everybody, you know, and there's a lot of challenges that come with that. So kind of let's walk through that, that flip that you were talking about that was a little bit challenging for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think before we jump into the flip, you know, one thing is, it's understanding who you are as an investor. You know, I think the psyche of yourself, you know, and who you are as an investor is an important part of making the decisions of what types of investments you want to get into. You know, I came from corporate America. We talked about that, right? So Mm -hmm. I came from corporate America. I'm really good at project management, um, overseeing business decisions, overseeing large sums of capital, you know, investing in specific types of things. Uh, I'm not the I'm not the the whipcracker, you know. I'm gotcha. not the guy who, you know, is on the job site all day long, making sure guys are really taking only 30 minutes for their lunch break, and they, you know, that's not mm-hmm. who I am, you know. Uh, I work with professional violence so When I say something, people do it, and if they don't do it, there's repercussions. And when you get into flipping, it's a little bit different because you have a you have a time clock, and you need somebody who is watching the crew and make sure that one doing what they're supposed to do. And everything is moving and progressing accordingly. So anyway, I, I ended up having a partnership. So I knew I, I knew that wasn't me going into it. So I didn't try to step into that role. I partnered with somebody who was a contractor who had a who had a system in place. And I would look, I went and watched uh, some of his crew work, and I went and visited five of his properties. So okay. I saw various stages of renovations from two that were finished, one that was basically on the market. Um, you know, a couple that you know had been, one that had been drywalled one that just had the studs up and electric and plumbing work going in, um, and one that was, you know, basically uh, just demo. Mm-hmm. So I saw, like, his system and the way he does it. And he had a kind of a cookie-cutter approach. So I'm like, okay, well, hey, he's got, he's got all this part down. This is great. Um, the numbers, they weren't what I was, you know, trained to see. But, you know, I was trained by books and podcasts, and he was actually doing it. So doing I kind it. of – Yeah, I kind of step back and say, well, you know, I'm going to defer to the guy who's got the real world experience. And I would say for your listeners, it's probably a bit of a a mistake. Definitely a mistake, I would say. It's never disregard your own intelligence on a subject. Um, While someone might have more experience, you need to use that as an opportunity to ask questions. Yeah. If you know something or you learn something, even if I read reading it or talking to other people, use that as an opportunity to ask them why they do something a certain way. And just hear what they say back to you. If they have something that makes a ton of sense, then okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but if what they're saying doesn't sound it like it up. really it don't add up or there's something missing you know that's the time when we weigh them red flags you know yeah, yeah and in short you know he was uh the way he had it structured the margins were super slim they were super slim and because he was doing so many uh i think the assumption that was made by a lot of partners was that hey we are buying in bulk, you know, we're buying materials yep. in bulk. We're doing things in bulk. So you can't really look at it as the cost for one project because we're doing five at a time. So there's, there's a cost of five at a time and there's a cost of, for one. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it at one, it's going to look crazy to you. But if you look at it as five, that's where the efficiencies are. Um, so that made sense to me, but I think ultimately, you know, it was just um, he ended up not being the right partner thing. He kind of slipped up a little bit and took mm-hmm. on too much work and, uh, became a bit of a, a challenge, bit of a nightmare. So we had to pick it up and finish it up. It was not a great project for me at all. Um, and the <laughs> okay. biggest thing I learned, too, is, you know, why we love multifamily. Because, you know, when you get into rehabs or single family rehabs in particular, you're not making any money while this project is going on. You know, you only make money the day you sell. So yeah. that's, that's it. That's it. So you're always racing against the clock to sell. With multifamily, even if you're doing a reposition or value add play, you're getting money day one from the existing tenants. And the way we do our model, we're buying properties that are eighty-five to ninety-five percent occupied, so we're getting good mm-hmm. cash flow day one out of these properties while we're implementing our value-add strategy. So I don't have to worry about those kind of issues sinking the deal. You know, we don't have to worry about uh, a contract just completely blowing. Not still other issues that you come up with, right. but the other piece to it is now you're dealing with more professional folks because we dealing with one contractor who is living off of these five deals. Well, you know, who knows? He might either feel good and he's made his money nice, happy and he's slowing mm-hmm. down on the work or yep. maybe he took on too much and he's not properly capitalized. But you're really putting a whole lot of business acumen into a guy who really doesn't, never went to business school, doesn't really understand, mm-hmm. you know, the financial side of things. He's a contractor. So I think that's the other thing. When you deal with apartments, you're dealing with professional companies who have lines of credit, who have money in the bank, who have employees who care about the reputation, who only work on commercial assets. So you're just dealing with the much higher caliber of individuals versus, you know, the one contractor who you hoping could get the job done on time and on budget, which never seems to happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that I tell the listeners is, you know, one of the worst numbers is in business is the number of one you know, cause if everything is, is solely the responsibility of one person, when that one person steps away, or you have a falling out with that one person. Now the whole project, you know, is deemed, you know, almost useless. You like you had to do, you had to pick it up and run with it. Um, So that failure actually, you know, lends you to saying, Hey, you know what? I need to focus on multifamily. That's the area. And that's the reason why I got into real estate versus trying to you know, do a one-off here and there. And I, I find a lot of people getting started. That's one of the things that they do. They say, okay, well, I want to be a multifamily investor, but I'm going to start with wholesale and then I'm going to go to fix and yeah. flips and then I'm going to go to, you know, residential rentals, then finally get to multifamily. Can you expound a little bit on that, John? Yeah, I
0: mean, part of that is the gurus, right? I mean, that's what the gurus teach. They teach you, hey, if you ain't got no money, start out with wholesaling. Go do that until you can make enough money to, Fix and flip. Once you can fix and flip, then you can buy a rental and you just keep doing that until you can get into multifamily. And yeah. that's the guru's pitch to you. like You don't need money to start. We'll teach you everything. Yeah, It's like, it's one, even if it does work, it's so slow. And I think it's disrespectful to wholesaler. Wholesaling is a very difficult thing because being a wholesaler, you have to understand construction to, to a basic amount to understand at least how a rehabber is looking at it. So if you tell me hey property you know is available for 70,000 you put 40,000 into it and it'll be worth 180 you need to already know is that 30 or 40,000 accurate what is that based off of Absolutely. Where are you getting your numbers from? And where are you pulling this ARV from? So you have to understand a lot to to be able to pull it out together. You know? So I just think that um you should focus on ways to get directly where you want to go. And in this instance, I would say, if you're interested in multifamily, house hacking is an easy way to get into it. Another easy way is joint venture with somebody. If you have capital, if you're a busy professional, become a limited partner on a deal or JV on a deal. But get in that way, gain some experience, gain expertise while you're really getting the benefits of it. Hire a coach or mentor, um, help somebody out, You know, try to join a team where you can provide value to them. There has to be something that you do really well. We talked about marketing. Can you help them find a deal? Can you help them with some of their marketing communications? Can you help with uh, some of their investor relations? Um, You know, there's gotta be, can you help underwrite? Uh, Can you help with, you know, accounting? I don't know, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) figure out what value you can add and then see how do you get involved to get that real world experience. But I think that's going to be more practical and trying to go out and flip houses or wholesale, if you, especially if you're not passionate about it, and if you yeah. don't have a desire to really be doing that, I mean, it's one thing if you if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. I don't mean it like that, mm-hmm. but if you have other options to to get on the pathway, I would say explore the right avenues to to get there from from A to B as opposed to going to all the you know all the way around it to a yep. whole bunch of different tactics um, just to get there. I mean, I, again, that was from a personal standpoint if I could go back, I would have solely focused on trying to educate myself and get really good at working with other people to bring capital to my deal versus trying to flip. Pro- like I lost more money in time trying to flip property, to make money for my deals than if I would have just either waited by myself
1: or started just talking to more investors. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and you, and you spoke of, you know, focusing on raising capital. How did you get into you know, transitioning into the syndications and, and the larger multifamily deals kind of help us understand how did you go from point A to point B? You know, um, I don't want to say pretty quickly, but you know, in an aggressive timeline. Uh,
0: I think the biggest thing for me was I made a, I recognized that I wanted, I needed to start raising capital for our deals. And the reason I say needed is because, um, we were investing a lot of money, a lot of our own money into the deal. And we weren't, we, we couldn't stay liquid. You know, if we had the mm-hmm. money we would buy a property and then I had to wait until I had more money. Uh, so I, we weren't looking at opportunities. We weren't, you know, building the portfolio in a way we really wanted to build it. Um, and there were people I felt like we could help if we, if we knew what to, to do in that space. So the big thing for me was I hired a coach um, okay. and I wasn't, I wasn't, hell bent on hiring a coach. It wasn't that I was running around saying I need a coach, mm-hmm. but I started to want to connect with people. And I'm, I met a guy for coffee and he had raised capital for one of his deals. And that's part of what I wanted to talk to him about. And he mentioned that he was taking on clients. And, you know, for me, it was like, well, listen, I'm sure I could blow this money on something else. Hell, <laughs> yeah. I ended up blowing on these damn uh, flip projects, Flips. right? <laughs> I'd rather invest it in some education where at a minimum, I'm going to walk away with some knowledge that I wouldn't have had otherwise, right? From someone mm-hmm. who's actually done it. Um, so that's what I did. And, and what ended up happening was I watched this person continue to grow and, and build their portfolio. So as I was implementing some of the stuff that I learned, I continued to watch this person blossom. Like, okay, wait a minute. this Because I just wanted to raise a little bit for my next deal. I wasn't trying uh-huh. to syndicate. I just wanted to buy another eight unit or a 12 unit or a 20 unit and have partners bring the money. I wasn't trying to be a syndicator. But I watched this person take a portfolio from $7 million to like $20 million to like $50 million to like $100 million <laughs> to, And I was like, wait, what?
1: What? How are you doing this? Yeah.
0: What? So at that moment, I had to kind of look at my own goals and say, okay, how do I adjust? And it's not even that. It was just, I think the other piece was like, trying to get started. I was trying to do it kind of by myself still. Mm-hmm. I just wanted people to help me financially, but I was going to manage the deal. And I stepped back and said, well, look, I've now had these investors who are waiting for my next deal. I'm having a hard time finding this next deal. Um, I know other folks who are looking for deals and I had a friend in particular and I just talked to him and said, listen, if you find something that makes sense for you, I'd love to partner and maybe bring my investors and help with marketing, investor relations and things like that. Um, and that's what ended up happening. They found a deal a pretty large deal, 192 units. And, um, that's kind of how we, we got started, you know, mm-hmm. with some real traction was we ended up coming in and being a general partner on that deal. And that really kind of now put us in this space where we're dealing with large scale apartment buildings. So that's kind of where we've been since.
1: Okay. So, um, I know a lot of people, coming from the corporate world, you understand, you know, mentorship and coaching. You know, a lot of people that get into real estate investing, they have that limited mindset. You know, I'm not going to pay a coach $20,000 or $25,000 to learn to get that education. Um, What really pushed you over the hump to say, you know, this is really something that I need to do in order to push me forward? Uh,
0: There were a couple of things, right? So one was, um, you know, it wasn't. I didn't pay twenty thousand dollars. So let's start with that. So <laughs> okay. that was the first. thing. I didn't pay that. So it was much easier for me to say, "Hey, for what I'm gonna get the investment amount, I think it makes sense." I'm gonna tell you what. I know people pay fifty times what I paid. So I'm happy with my investment. It's good. Okay. Um, okay. Perfect. With that. With that said, um, I think it was ultimately recognizing the benefit, and that's something where I've grown dramatically as well because. I'm someone I'm someone who can figure it out. And for that person's listening, I want to just say this because I'm someone who feels like, hey, I'm savvy enough, I'm smart enough, I'm resourceful enough between the books, the podcasts, the different stuff out there, I can figure it out. And you can't figure it out. It may just take you longer. Yep. And you may, it's not that you'll have limit, I mean you will have limiting beliefs, but it's not in the sense that I think most of us think about it, right? So let's say your goal is to make a hundred thousand dollars. You might be able to accomplish a hundred thousand dollars. But if you joined a group of folks who are doing millions of dollars Mm -hmm. of deals, your goal would change from wanting to make a hundred thousand to half a million. Exactly. So part of what you make, and again, you can you can call it paying for coaching, or you can call it investing in your future. And if you're truly finding the right people who can can help you invest in your future and provide the opportunities, the connections, the network, the pathway, the blueprint that can help you excel, that's an investment that's going to be worth it. You got to look at the return on investment, just like a real estate deal. Do. Yep. Don't look at it as, oh, this is a $5,000, 20000 or $50,000 program. You got to look at the return on that and ask yourself, anytime you're looking at either coaching or something like that, what's going to be my return? How am I going to get my money back? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, how long is it going to take? How much work do I need to do? But what's the return? You know, it's not like college I and mean, people, people drop a hundred thousand dollars on college without blinking and never ask, well, what am I going to get in return? And
1: then never use that education.
0: And then never use it. <laughs> they never use it. And I'm like, like, I, I don't, I don't get it. So mm-hmm. I, it's the same thing. You got to focus on the return. Don't worry so much about the the money. And then I'll say this to Marcus, cause I, I know a lot of folks, they feel like, um, you know, they they feel like that uh, they don't want to help somebody else, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yep. You yep. know, so they don't want to pay somebody else who figured it out. Um, but they're they happy to pick your brain,
1: mm-hmm. you know.
0: Um, and the reality is, is that when you take a look at the landscape, you know, there's a lot of money, time and energy invested in getting good. And I have no problem. People, I, I do free 30 minute calls all every day. Yep. Right. My, I have another coach who told me, you got to stop doing that. I'm like, nah, man, because people help me start now and I got no problem for it. But it's 30 minutes. That's it. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't do it every week. Which Exactly. You know what I mean? exactly. Like my time is valid. like that, That's the tracks for me being able to grow my business and do what I got to do for my family. So ultimately, our time is valuable. We have to make sure we, we we get compensated for that. And you have to believe in yourself. and You have to value yourself. I think that's a very important aspect of it. And part of valuing yourself is investing in yourself. I mean, my coach, they, they have coaches, yeah. you know, I have a coach, you know? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think what I've Kobe has a coach, you know, you look at the greats, you get into sports, they have coaches, you know, why? Because exactly. that coach's job is to get the best performance out of the player. Of that person. That's right. what I look for. You know, it's not about, oh, I'm, I don't know how to do this. Somebody please teach me and show me. I mean, that's, that's a small part of it. Ultimately, I'm looking for somebody who can help me accomplish the things I know I can do. You know, in corporate America, you have a boss, right? Yeah. That boss is your coach, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. But most of the time, that boss don't care about you. They care about you themselves. You just doing busy work to get them together. Um, but in the real world, you know, if you could find someone who can be a great coach or a mentor, whether it's paid or unpaid, really doesn't matter as much. I think the, the difference is just in the value exchange. You know, if you don't, if you don't have a lot of value you can give um, to that individual, then you're probably going to have to pay a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, or if that person and, and value meaning based on where that person is, you know, you come into somebody who is worth $50 million and saying, Hey, you know, I can, um, I can help you with underwriting. They're like, dude, I will pay somebody to do that professionally for me. Like, I'm not going to have you do this for free. So, I mean, the value has got to be in line with, um, with what the opportunity with is. Service.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And likewise, I do. I was doing a 30 minute free consultation, but I scaled it down to 15 minutes because my coach was like, hey, you're doing too much. (laughs) You're giving away too much. Um, But I understand, you know, the value of really helping people get started and get started in the right way. So, um, John, now you're doing syndication. You're doing these deals. I know you're you're out in Cincinnati now, correct? Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. So, what took you from Chicago to Cincinnati? Was it a deal? Was it just work transition? Kind of what happened?
0: So, you know, like any, any good guy, you know, my, my wife, her family is here <laughs> oh. and we started talking about where we wanted to be. You know, wife says she wanted to be closer to home and uh we moved Got closer you. to home for, <laughs> so,
1: so you, you left chicago cold to cincinnati cold not miami yeah, not LA. What? <laughs> you know
0: what it, it's not that bad here it, it's warm it's pretty it's fairly warm in cincinnati it's normally like 10 to 15 degrees warmer um than in chicago so it's not too bad but the other thing so we actually do own property out this way and i like uh i'm, I'm closer to the regions of the country that I want to invest in. So I do like Cincinnati as an MSA. I love Indianapolis big time. And okay. uh, Northern Kentucky is another market I like. And there's some stuff in the Southeast. So it's actually a little bit easier for me to commute. And the cost of okay. living is better. So it's easier for me to, you know, just focus on doing our next deal and not feeling like, um, you know, we got to rush to get the next deal going or anything one. like that. We could be patient with it. Yeah.
1: So, so tell me about the landscape because I, I talked to a lot of people and they're saying, you know, the Midwest is absolutely the the place to be right now do you find that to be the case and I don't want to give away your secret sauce or anything like that uh ain't no secrets in this game (laughs) game. and and
0: if you look like I said if you can give away your secrets in a 40-minute discussion you don't have enough you don't have enough
1: (laughs) (laughs) so are you you really finding the deals in the midwest and in the southeast or you know are you guys looking to explore you know in the western hemisphere of the country or kind of what's what?
0: I think you got to, um, you have to preface that question about talking about what you look for in a deal, right? Especially mm-hmm. given where we're at today here in 2019, towards the end of the year, um, where the economy is a bit frothy. And a lot of folks are are uh, saying that we've got a recession coming down mm-hmm. the pipeline. You got the yield, you know, the yield curve, curve inverted, uh, yield inversion. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, look, the way I look at it right now, um, it's important to, more than ever to focus on buying cash-flowing assets. Um, you want to make sure you understand what those cash-flowing assets do when um, there's a, a pullback on the economy. So if vacancy rates increase, what's going to happen to your projections? Um, if you're not able to get that big pop on an on exit, what does that do? Are you running a sensitivity analysis on your deals. So we're looking at all of those things. And the reason I still like the Midwest, I like the Southeast and other parts of the country too. But the thing about the Midwest is it never really appreciated and valued the way these other places did. Mm-hmm. You know, there hasn't been a crazy influx of capital in the Midwest. Like there has been, in maybe some of the, um, you know, the, the Texas markets or Southeast yep. or maybe out West or even on the East coast. You just haven't seen that people aren't flocking to, um you know northern kentucky they're mm-hmm. not flocking to you know southeast indiana yeah, you know they're just it's not it's not right, like an right. overwhelming ridiculous amount i mean obviously they've all seen increases in investing but not in comparison to a dallas texas for instance or, or orlando florida or some of these other markets um so i think that there's still opportunities there and that's not to dis- disbarge like Texas or Florida, anything like that, About mm-hmm. by, by any means. The point is just simply, if you're looking for something that's stable, you know, the cap rates haven't moved as much in these regions, so they're not going to move as much on the back end either. They just, they're just not going to fluctuate as much. Um, and then because they deliver strong cash flow, it's a great place to park your money Um, As opposed to, you know, hoping the market does well. So, you know, some of the West Coast scares me a little bit just because if you look at trends, some of these markets were laggards when it Mm -hmm. comes to recovery. If you look at some of the Florida markets, some of the the, uh, Arizona markets and uh, Nevada in particular. Um, So if you look at some of those markets, they lag the recovery time. So when a recession hit, they got hit kind of the hardest. Hard. And those are kind of the things you want to keep your eye on. Yes, you are seeing the great metrics we like, population growth, job growth, things like that. But you also have to watch, you know, how the, how elastic are these markets? How, how well do they respond in a recession? Um, you know, how much demand or how much fluidity is there? What are the industries driving it? If it's tourism, well, guess what? In a recession, tourism drops When you think about healthcare and education, well, guess what? In a recession, those increase. So we're looking at markets where healthcare, education, and other recession-proof industries are really driving the fundamentals because I think those are going to do extremely well in any kind of downturn. So that's why I like some of them. And it's not the Midwest as a blanket statement, but Mm -hmm. that's why I choose the markets I choose. And I like uh, the Cincy market. I like Indianapolis, uh, and I like uh, a few in the Southeast as well.
1: So are you ever concerned um, with those economic drivers of the decrease in, in certain populations you know, in the Midwest? Yeah, we, we
0: focus on population first and foremost still. So that's why, again, I, I love Chicago. It's a great place to to visit, to live. Um, but from an investing standpoint, my one caveat is always, you have to pay attention to the numbers. You know, People are leaving the state of Illinois and leaving the city of Chicago. So you need to monitor that and understand how that may impact your rents. At the end of the day, the only thing we're really trying to measure is rental demand. That's it. Mm-hmm. Current rental demand and future rental future. demand. And there are a lot of factors that 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 play into it. Um, but that's what we're really trying to figure out is, hey, is there going to be more rental demand for my property? You know, not, not in general. I don't care if a million people move to the city, if there's going to be a million and ten new apartments, right? Gotcha. A million and ten new apartments are going to drop my rents. So that doesn't mm-hmm. help me. You know, uh, I had a guy I was talking to um, he invests for me on the south side of Chicago. He's like, listen, I love it because demand's increasing because of blight. I'm like, yeah, that's not really a sound <laughs> strategy though. And he's yeah. like, yeah, we're just, they're just knocking, they're losing buildings. Right. So they're just like taking buildings out. Uh-huh. And he's like, yeah. So there's more demand because there's less places to actually rent. I had a guy yesterday <laughs> out here in Dayton. I forgot there was a, a tornado not too long ago. And he's like, well, the tornado took out some of the properties as well. So, you know, there's natural disasters and things yeah. like that. But again, no one want, I don't want to be morbid and look at the negative side of things by any means, but the point is, ultimately, what you're looking at when it comes to these numbers, it's rental demand. And that's what you're trying to do. And obviously, growth is way better than, you know, rental demand by default because, it's, you know, they've knocked down the other properties. That's not really a sustaining yeah, strategy yeah. because demand is not really increasing. It's just, you know, you're the last one left in the, left region, in
1: the, the, in the Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, a long-term strategy <laughs> right right so tell me um what do you think was your most creative deal john oh um most creative deal
0: um
1: we haven't been that creative man i'm trying to think here but uh, <laughs> well, what do you feel it was your most successful deal you know, I understand the first one getting started with the house hack, you know, was the launching point. But outside of that, what do you think, you know, really pushed you into the direction that you wanted to go into?
0: So. I, I wouldn't say this is the most successful deal, but um, to, as far as pushing us in the direction, the eight unit, I think, was very critical, uh, because first and foremost, we've done a two unit. We've done a three unit deal. The eight unit was our first commercial deal. Um, mm-hmm. and while it's still eight units, it's not like it's a hundred units or something like that. Um, it did force us to go through the process and I was able to go through the process on a small scale, and it showed me um it showed me a lot when it comes to working with property management companies, managing an asset and things like that. And then it also helped me tap into the skill set that I already had. You know, you think of um, work with the property management company and think that they're so professional and they know what they're doing. They're so buttoned up. And sometimes again, you might discount your own experience. Well, so I worked for a large fortune 500 mm-hmm. company and I'd overseen hundreds of millions of dollars in, in marketing dollars. You know, I know a thing or two about putting together systems right. and processes and teams and all of that. So I would come in and while I didn't have any property management experience, I'm like, you should have a checklist of what a unit turn looks like. Like this shouldn't be based on whoever showed up showed for the up. day exactly. and their thoughts on what a clean turn looks like. This should be a checklist. So I had to create a checklist. So there are things like that, that kind of gave me the comfort to basically say, don't be intimidated by the bigness. Mm-hmm. That was really my thing. Cause it opened me up to say, Oh, okay. It's not like these property managers, these other people really are that far above you. These are people that people Exactly. They're, they're people and they're workers. Most of the time they're employees and they just, they hate their job and they just doing that, you know, doing yeah, the job yeah. they got to do anyway uh, they, to get their check. So it helped me understand from a business standpoint that it's okay to play big, to be big and to make the big decisions. So when you get into a hundred plus unit deal, you know, operate that thing the way you need to operate it. Don't worry about somebody else's 20 years experience like come in and if you see something needs to be done the right way, then come in and tell them to do it the right way, you know, and having that confidence in yourself. And just I think it really kind of empowered me to um, to play at that next level when I started to recognize what was working in that deal, what wasn't working in that deal. And ultimately, just own accountability for it, you know, and just recognizing that, listen, it's up, on, it's up to you at all times to, to make the right decisions and put your investors and other folks in a position to
1: be successful. So what do you think um because I know your your mentor your coach really was a driving influence in your life uh in your business career what do you think is that one thing that that he may have imparted into you to really push you forward
0: um you know there's more than one thing but i think the one thing was really in watching his actions you know, one of the things that he like, there's the learning and the, all of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, watching the actions and watching what was working and talking to him about it and getting into the details on some of it. Um, I think ultimately launching a podcast is a huge thing, you know. So uh, I know a lot of folks are looking to launch podcasts. And um mm-hmm. I was in a position where I didn't want to do a podcast. I was completely against it. Um, I'm actually more of a private person. I don't really like to. Mm-hmm be out in front and sharing all my business and all of that kind of yep. stuff. Um, but ultimately, I did it for a couple of reasons. One, I know I needed to put myself out there. If you want to attract capital for your deals, people have to know who you are. You know, yeah, they're not going to invest absolutely. in you if they don't know who you are. That's the first part of it, right? Yep. And uh, just trying to call friends and family and folks that I work with. Well, I mean, that <laughs> only can take you so far, right? Exactly. They, they want to see you succeed before they, they invest. I mean, don't, don't work mm-hmm. it wrong. I mean, grandma might put some money in your, your pocket and trust you, but right. you know, a lot of, a lot of folks want to kind of want to wait and see, you know, yeah, they want to see see, see your track record. They want to see the track record. So it's kind of, you know, it's a challenge starting out because a lot of folks will tell you all, oh, you know, go to friends and family and, and you'll get it. And again, it depends on who you are and the connections mm-hmm. you have, but you may need to build a new network, you know, and I needed to build a new network so that I was part of it. But then also I wanted to really educate myself more on how to find the best places to invest. So that really became the platform that allowed me to do it, and I think that really opened up the the doors, opened up my eyes um, to how to grow as an individual, how to put yourself out there, and ultimately how to drive
1: success and, and build a build a business. Okay, so John, eighty five million man and assets that that you're managing and operating, man, what's next? I mean, where can you go from here?
0: Um. Yeah. So there's a lot next. Uh, I think the first thing is, you know, the first thing is, um, continuing down that path and that trajectory, right? So I mean, there's uh, there are a couple deals that I'm I'm looking at now. Um, we want to be pretty uh, thorough in our due diligence, but if the deals work, we'd love to bring them into the portfolio. Um, We're looking to grow and continue to help more people. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes investors get caught up on assets under management. Um, Mm -hmm. For starters, we're general partners. So we actually have other operators who lead a lot of the day-to-day. So we're actually, we have some deals we lead, other deals where they kind of take the lead and we're more um, general partners helping behind the scenes type stuff. So we want to do more deals where we're kind of the lead operator. But then also, it's really less about the number of, you know, the number of millions under management Mm -hmm. or the number of units. And I look at it as how many people are you helping, Right. How many people are you helping? Either earn passive income, um, save on their taxes, diversify their portfolio, get into different markets, um, educate on real estate as an investment vehicle. So I really look at it less on the assets under management and more about the number of people we can impact. Because I think the business ultimately is a people business, and if I focus on helping people, um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously going to benefit from that. But it's got to start mm-hmm. with me being able to provide real value for the
1: folks and that's that's good and that that's actually a good segue into my next question and we're almost wrapping up here but how do you feel um your investing is impacting the community where you operate in
0: yeah man i think it's a couple things so first and foremost you know we're trying to impact these communities by um, improving the quality of life, improving the neighbors, improving the the housing units. Um, and then I think the other part is like trying to create opportunities for other folks to learn more about it. You know, I, I try to share as much as we do uh, between the podcast and we have our, our monthly meetup as well. And the annual conference you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, I have a sample deal right now. So if anybody goes to our website, com slash sample deal, you can actually see, what a sample deal package would look like. So, if you're trying to put together your own deal, or you want to learn more about syndication, you can actually download this and get a sense of, you know, what what would need to be included. Or if you're a passive investor and you want to take a look at what an, what a deal would look like, with before you actually get on the phone yeah. with somebody who's like, how much money you got? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's another great way to start to educate yourself before um, before jumping too deep into it. So, just sharing information. You know, I, I try to just share it both with the online community, the podcast community, as well as, you know, the physical uh, community with the investments we're making.
1: Great, great, great. And I'm sure, you know, turning some of those assets around, you know, from, lower class assets to higher class assets definitely helps the community. So, um, always want to make sure there's an impact. So John kind of wrapping up here, man, we're going to go into our tie it all together section, our hot seat questions, man. So real quickly, let's, let's start running here. So starting over, what do you think you would do different? Never do flips, always do multifamily and partner with others. Okay. What do you think is the greatest commodity outside of capital? Deals. Okay. All right. And um, what is one thing you could do to be more productive? Time block. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hey, have you ever used Pomodoro's? I haven't. Man, it's 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 basically time blocking. Uh, okay. When you get a chance, just kind of look it up, man. I use it and it transitioned my whole day, honestly. Okay. <laughs> What's it called again? Uh, Pomodoro's. P-O-R-M-O-D-O-R-S, something like that. Okay. And then what drives you? What's your, what's your ambition? What drives your ambition? Uh, legacy, man, just generational impact and legacy. Okay. All right. And what's the latest business book you've read? Ooh. Um, what am I listening to right now? I'm
0: listening to the one thing. So I do, I do a little combination of audible and physical books, but right now I'm listening to the one thing, but the last one really, I mean, that one's obviously impacting me, but, um, the one I always tell people is atomic habits by James clear. That book right there is that's a phenomenal book that uh, I advise everybody to check out. If there's anything business or not, just personal, any habit that you're trying to work on, it's a great book to help you uh, figure out the right process to, to, you know,
1: change your life and move in the right direction. Gotcha. I got that one wrote down and circled, man. Uh, the, The one thing is really good. So, I just finished that one. So definitely know okay. where you're at with that one. So, and then what's the latest real estate book that you've read? Oh, man. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you got tons of them back there. So yeah, I, don't, I
0: mean, it's funny. I don't know if I've read a pure real estate book in a while. I mean, I read Joe's okay. book. So um, uh, the best ever apartment syndication book okay. by Joe Fairless and Joe Theo Fairless. Hicks. That's probably the last one I've
1: really read. Yeah. Okay. All right. Perfect, man. So, um, John, it was my pleasure, man. I know that you have the, um, target market insight podcast. How can we find you other than the podcast?
0: Yeah. Check out the podcast. You know, if you, it's a great way to get more information, stay in touch with us and all that. Uh, you can go to our website, casmancapital.com and then, um, you can reach me via email as well. Um, I'm at John at casmancapital.com.
1: Okay. And guys, I'll have all of that information in the show notes below. All of that information will be there. Uh, Actually go and check out that sample deal packet. I I downloaded it last week. and was kind of going over it because I'm making my transition from smaller, you know, multifamily units to get into some larger projects, man. So it was a good way, you know, for me to do some education and do some research. So John, man, there's nothing else. I want to appreciate you being here and speaking to the to our family you know the we love equity real estate show family and it was my pleasure and thank you so much for sharing thank you my brother thank you for having me on thank you for listening to today's show i picked up some great actionable items and i'm sure you did as well if so let me know you can always reach me via social media at facebook.com mrcs maloney twitter at mrcs maloney and of course ig at mrcs maloney You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guests as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.